Well, good morning, everyone. Well, do me a favor and open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 11. I think we're going to complete the chapter right on time here. Let me take off my jacket. We're going to do church right here. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> it's a heavy jacket. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord God, it's just an awesome time to come before you and to worship you. And we pray, Lord God, that our worship was a sweet-smelling aroma, an offering that brought you much glory and praise, Lord. We thank you for that freedom that we have to do that this morning. We ask now, Lord God, as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us and open our eyes and our hearts and our ears so that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, the title of this morning's message, I'm going to move this stuff, Izzy, is Life's Not Fair. Has anybody experienced that truth yet? I pound it into my kids' heads all the time so that they'll learn that lesson that life is not fair. And the soon they could complete this for you if you ask them. And the sooner you get used to it, the better off you will be. It's going to happen through our entire life. And I wonder who even said that life was going to be fair. You know, if you look at scripture, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Peter said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter told the church, It's not some strange things. It's happening. It's going to happen. Jesus also said to each church in the book of Revelation, there are seven that he addresses. And in every message to that church, there's a phrase at the end. It says, to him who overcomes, means overcoming the tribulations and the trials that face those churches. Later, John said, and we aptly sung about the saints overcoming Satan. He says, because of how they came overcame him was because of the blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their life when faced with death. Persecution and tribulation and trials are part of life, and even more so when you join the church, specifically the church of God. So those people who say life is going to get easy when you give your life to Christ have a, a, hard, a, a difficult understanding and a misconception of the gospel of Christ. And then I was thinking, well, what if life really was fair? Have you ever thought about that? The first thing I say is, well, would you have the job that you're in if life was fair? Maybe the other applicant was more qualified. Have you ever thought of that? Would you have received the consequences of those actions that you did that you really didn't want if it was fair? Right. How many of us would be in a lot more trouble than we are every time we were speeding on the street? How many of you have never been caught speeding? Don't raise your hand. We have a camera right there and the state of California is going to send you a bill. But imagine if it was fair, we'd get a ticket, right? If it was fair, every time we did wrong, we'd be punished if life truly was fair. What about the grades that you received? If it was fair, would you really receive that good grade that your teacher gave you? 
or the pay that you receive or the discipline that we receive? Would you even be alive today if life truly was fair? Would we even be saved by God if life was truly fair? As I, I thought about this today as well, and I looked at the newspaper and saw the suffering, some suffering in countries in Africa. Is it fair that you were born into the era that you were born? Into the location and the family that you are in? Who determined that fairness? And who determines what's fair anyways? Another person? Me? You? Or the Lord? As I started off, one of the best lessons I mentioned my children, the best lessons I think we as parents can do is to teach our children that life is not fair and how to handle it when unfairness happens. We give them a false assurance when we give them everything they want and teach them that everything's fair. And then when they get into the workplace and realize that's not true, they don't know how to handle it. And the same is true with us as Christians. And John alluded to this, I think it was in his prayer about fairness or this misconception about what we are supposed to to earn or have the rights of man especially in our privileged country so how do we handle this what does scripture have to say as i already alluded to that it says life's unfair it's going to happen the apostle paul has a great message to the church at rome that i think we can learn from and let's look at that this morning starting in verse 14 we're going to read through verse 21 As Paul explains to the church how to handle mistreatment. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Short, pithy sayings by Paul, but they're very profound. Now let's go back and look at them individually, because in this, again, we'll find out how we as Christians are to handle mistreatment. So I hope you get it right from the beginning that mistreatment will happen. If you've, ever, if you've never been mistreated, count yourself blessed because it will happen. Is there anybody here that's never been mistreated? Okay, good. All right, so let's look at how to handle this. Number one, blessed are those, he says, bless those who persecute you. So the way that you handle mistreatment is blessing the person that's mistreating you according to the Apostle Paul, and not cursing them. Well, what does it mean to bless them? You're like, I'll bless them with, you know, with my hand. No. Laying hands on them, right? No. That's not what he's talking about. That word bless in the Greek is eulogeo. Eulogeo. And I, it means to speak well of. Religiously, to bless or to thank or to invoke a benediction upon or to prosper somebody 
It's where we get our word eulogizing. If you've ever been to a funeral, when they eulogize someone, what are they doing? They're speaking well of the deceased. So the Apostle Paul is saying to bless those who persecute you. Speak well of those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Speak well of them. Well, how do we do that? How do we speak well of somebody who's persecuting me in any way, being mean to me, uh, pressuring me, stressing me out? Whatever the case may be, you fill in the blank. Well, there's two ways that we can do that. Number one is to speak well of them to God by praying for them. Instead of cursing them, he says, bless them. Pray that God would you know, bless them somehow, transform their heart, whatever the case may be. Help them see how they're being, speaking well of them, not in a negative tone. Jesus commanded this to his followers, in two, and I'll give you two examples. The first one's found in the Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And speaking about persecution, persecution, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. He also said that in Luke 6, verses 27 through 28. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Again, both times Jesus had to pray for them. And that was the point I wanted to bring out. We're going to refer back to these two verses in a little more detail when we go to the application part of this sermon this morning. But note that one of the ways that we can speak well of those who are doing harm to us in any way or we feel are mistreating us is to pray for them. That should be our first thing that we do. Pray for them. The second thing that we can do is to speak well of them to others. Right? Bless them to other people. I was reminded of that saying that probably all of our parents have told us and we've told our own kids. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. That's slander. We're slandering somebody, whether you think they deserve it or not. We as Christians are called not to do that. We're called to bless them. Curse them is the total opposite. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.29, said this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who is here. Look at that. Only speak wholesome words out of your mouth, that they're going to edify the people that hear those words, and that it will give grace to those who hear it. When I was uh, back in my single life and I had a roommate, he would always quote that verse to me anytime we were like joking with each other. And I kind of one-upped him. He's all, Ephesians 4.29, only wholesome words coming out of your mouth after he dropped the bomb on me. So he tried to convict me with that. It stays with me to this day, though. So speak well of them. Bless them as opposed to cursing. He says, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. And that cursing means to wishing wishing bad on them or denouncing them. So he said, don't wish bad on those people who are persecuting you, which is our natural inclination. And sometimes, you know, we don't want to pray for that person. We don't want them to be blessed. We want to curse them for whatever they've done to us. 
But you remember the context of this entire chapter. Back in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I want to read that to you, 1 and 2, real quick. Just so you get a, the context of what's going on here, because it's very important. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, and remember, this is because of what Christ has done for us, because we're saved by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. And this is the important part. But be transformed. Remember, metamorphous, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. Our minds as believers are to be transformed and renewed so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable and perfect. That is the arching, the overarching context of what we're talking about. This is why the why part, because we're transformed believers. We don't act like everybody else. So when we're uh, persecuted, we bless and we do not curse. I'm reminded of James and John. You remember in Luke chapter nine. This is probably how most of us, the initial reaction when people do us harm or mistreat us. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, let me read you this story. It may sound familiar and resonate well with you. He says, when the days were approaching, this is Luke 9, verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of, of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. So Jesus sent his apostles out to tell people, hey, the Lord's coming you know, accept him into your home. And verse 53 says, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When the when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That is cursing. They, that's the epitome of cursing. Somebody did something wrong to us. You know what, Lord? Let's just slay them right here. Get rid of them. Toast. They're done. That's that cursing of God. How many times have you prayed that when somebody's mistreated you or thought that? Strike them down, Lord. Or even for somebody else. I mean, I, I look at the mistreatment of our brothers and sisters in other countries and have probably prayed that. Right? Feeling like. Lord, just stop them, whatever it takes from hurting our brothers and sisters. Cursing, wishing them bad, denouncing them. This could be also just doing it of somebody, talking bad about them, slandering them because they hurt you. How many times have you done that? Speaking evil of somebody, going gossiping and backbiting and causing dissension among the church. We're called not to do that over and over again in Scripture. So cursing them would be cursing them to God or cursing them to a friend or someone else. So how do we handle mistreatment? We don't curse. We bless those who persecute us. We pray for them. We speak well of them. What, what does he say next? Let's go back to our text and look at verses 15 and 16, because this will be our second point. So bless those who persecute you. Um, bless and do not curse. And verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. This one's a little different because it's like it seems out of place by the Apostle Paul, but I think it still has some application for the church. 
And I think it particularly pertains to those in the church. And he says this, it's it's this, be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters, because this is going to help you for to handle mistreatment. Why? Because you're going to get to know them more. And I alluded to this last week in our message. The more time we spend with each other, the better we get to know each other. The more compassion we can have on one another. And that's why he says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We can share our struggles with one another. When we're in fellowship with our brothers and sisters and we know them better, we're less likely to speak bad about them. We're better to understand where they're coming from. Again, fellowship with each other draws our hearts closer to each other. And again, we begin to deepen our relationships one for another. We care for each other more. And I really think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to stress here. Rejoice with each other, weep with each other, and be of the same mind one towards another. And the reason I think this is within the church is because we're not called to be of the same mind as the world. This section is about one another, us. We are to have the same mind towards one another, meaning have, have a common mindset. Again, going back to verse 2 in Romans 12, that transformed, renewed mind we're to have t- together. We're to view each other as equals as well. If you look at verse 10 of Romans 12, it says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This goes well with this section about being the same mind towards one another. And do not be haughty in mind. Don't be prideful. Don't think within the church that you are better than anybody else within the church. We are all members of Christ's body, and we all need one another. And I feel this is what he's talking about, about do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't think, again, that I, you know what, I serve in this capacity, or I go to all these services, or I'm in, in three or four studies, or whatever. They can, and I'm better than the, other, the average believer at church. No. We're to view each other as equals and not be prideful. And then when we do that, we can look at each other in a different way. We won't be, we'll be able to handle mistreatment better by one another. Because guess what? Even in the church, we can be mistreated, can't we? We're all fallen human beings. We mistreat each other sometimes. How should we handle that? Well, the, when we're together and of one mind, we should forgive one another. Over and over again, Scripture talks about that. Moving on to verse 17. Here, starting in verse 17, Paul shifts his focus now primarily towards our dealing with those on the outside of the church. But note that it is assumed that we're already doing this inside the church. So now he's going to focus outside in verses 17 through 21 for the remainder of the chapter. Look at verse 17 again. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Is it just to uh, people I don't know or people I know? Anyone. And maybe sometimes, no, never, never pay back others with evil. We're not to do unto others as they have done unto us. He's saying we don't do that as believers. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. It's not that tit for tat. Well, you did that to me, so I'm going to do it back to you. No, that's not the frame of mind that the believer is supposed to have. So when you are persecuted, when you are mistreated, you don't mistreat them the same way. That evil is not to be portrayed back to them as evil. Matter of fact, he says this. 
Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. What this is talking about is we are to think about, pause for a moment, think about how can we treat that person that has, mis, has, has just mistreated me. In the NASB, which I was reading from, that word is respect. It means to think in advance. So think in advance what is right for other people. How can I treat that person? How do I respond back to that person in such a way that will reflect godliness? Despite the fact that they just injured me and hurt me. He says it's right in the sight of all men. And again, this has to be interpreted by the context of Paul's thought, which began in verse 2. Well, the outside world might see something as right, and we do not. It's what God sees as right, what God sees as good. Because sometimes we treat people in a way that God tells us to, and it's not they don't like it. That's not what we're talking about. We don't adapt to change to the world's standards. Right must be based on what is first right in God's eyes. So calling something evil, that might hurt them, but it is right in God's eyes. There's a way to do it, isn't there? There's a, in our communication, it's not always what we say, it's what? How we say it, right? You have supervisors and managers like that. They say the right thing, but they just don't know how to say it the right way. They should communicate better, yes. You're like, dang, they should be here today. We are to do all that we can to bring glory to God, even in the midst of persecution and suffering. So before we act, we should ask ourselves, is this a godly response? So before you just lash out at somebody or respond back to what they've done to you, think about the words that I'm going to say, the actions that I'm going to take. Is this going to draw them closer to Christ? And maybe you think, well, you know what, I don't really want to draw that person to Christ. And that's a different issue altogether. That's an issue with John and James. They're just like, let's just burn them, Lord. Toast them. That's not our mindset. And you might be thinking, well, what about the Old Testament where it says an eye for an eye, right? We'll get to that. Hold on. What does that mean? So, never pay back others with evil, think how to reply with godliness, and do all that you can to live peacefully with them. Look at verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I like that, that the Apostle Paul prefaces that. As much as possible, if possible, as much as you depends on you, the believers should do all that we can to live at peace with somebody, but you know what? Sometimes they just don't receive it. Sometimes they hate you so much that it doesn't matter what you do, they're still going to do evil to you, mistreat you, misrepresent you, talk about you, slander you. But in your part, you don't repay evil for evil. You do as much as you can to live peacefully with that person. Bless them and don't retaliate. I like what a professor of New Testament studies, a man named Douglas Moo, says. He says, Christians are urged to pursue behavior that will have a positive impact on all people. That's first and foremost, as much as you can. Again, sometimes people won't receive it, so it doesn't matter. So leave that and just pray for them. And hopefully later on, that door will be open where you can live peaceably with them. But we're not to be pursuing backbiting and slandering and fighting and all that. That's not what we're called to do. 
Well, verse 19. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying we are never to retaliate. Verse nine, that's different than protecting ourselves. This is retaliation. So remember, I mentioned what about an eye for an eye? Doesn't that give us, if that person injures me, I'm going to do it the same way back to them. You talked about me, I'm going to talk about you. You, uh, you know, injured me by punching me, I'm going to punch you back. That's Old Testament, right? What exactly did it mean? Well, I'm just going to give you two short uh, responses to that, but I would encourage you, if you're really interested in that, uh, Pastor John MacArthur does a great study on Matthew about this section of the law, Old Testament law. So if you're interested, he was, I mean, he does a, a masterful job of that. I'm just going to give you two points that he, he brought out. That what about an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth? You guys know what I'm talking about, Old Testament, where it says that? You, if you didn't know it was the Old Testament, you've heard that before. It's like a common term used. Well, this was meant to really protect the defendant from an unjust punishment. That's number one in the Old Testament. So if somebody injured you, like they, you know, they stole your sheep, you weren't supposed to go and kill them. That's kind of a, you know, unfair punishment. Like, I know there's a legal term for that. I can't think of it right now. Does anybody know what I'm thinking of in our legal system? Like unjust punishment? Okay. Never mind then. None of you have dealt with the law, I guess, so we'll deal with that. So this is meant to protect the defendant so that it's not vigilanteism. We're just going to go and kill their whole family. No, it's a just punishment for the crime. The crime must fit the punishment. I think that's what I was looking for. That's what that is talking about in the Old Testament. It was really a protection, and it was supposed to be carried out by a judge. It was distributed fairly and justly. It was to protect them. No vigilanteism. We're not just going to get a posse because you stole my lamb and kill your whole family. No, they were supposed to pay back restitution give you a lamb back, or whatever else the law called for. And that's what it's talking about. The punishment much fits the crime. And again, I'd say if you're really interested in that, again, Pastor John MacArthur does a great job of teaching that. But let's move on. Hopefully that's satisfactory for you. If not, we can talk afterwards. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, leave room for the wrath of God. So you don't retaliate. Paul's saying you leave it up to God. Let God handle it. And what's interesting to note is that word leave room is actually the Greek word to give, to give up, like to give it to God. You've heard that, you know, give it to God. That's actually one place that it's used. So when somebody does something to you, you give it to God and let God take care of it. You don't retaliate. Let God retaliate. Leave room for the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Give the issue to God and let him dish out the punishment towards that person. I think God is the only one who can justly and fairly distribute punishment on somebody. And and as I was thinking that, I was thinking, what about me and my past? If I did something wrong to somebody and this law wasn't enacted and they said, you know, I'm just going to retaliate. They didn't leave room for God. What would have happened to me? God saw it fit that, you know what, I'm going to relent on Robert for some unknown reason. 
and I'm going to show him mercy and grace and call him to myself. Maybe he's going to do that with that person that has an issue with you. Who knows what God's plan is for that situation or person? Again, remember James and John, they were going to bring down fire on those people. And, and Jesus said, well, you guys, you guys have the wrong mindset. You're not understanding what I came for. I didn't come to judge this first time. John alluded to it again. God, John must have like read my sermon notes. Did you read those, John? You know, he's coming back a second time. But that first time, that wasn't his point. And he was telling James and John that that's not what I'm here for. Again, who knows what God's plans are for every situation and every person? We don't know. So leave it to God to deal with it. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, God says he's the one who owns vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Our responsibility can be found in the very next verse, verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you, he you will heap burning coals on his head. You're like, that's what we're talking about. Now we're getting physical. No, that's not what it's talking about. Our responsibility is to do good. Before I explain that, that will bring me to my next point. But why should we do this? Why can't I exact revenge on somebody? Why can't I get even with somebody? Well, this very term, burning coals on, he on somebody's head, the imagery is used metaphorically now to describe shaming somebody. You've heard that word, kill them with kindness, that term before? It's kind of like that. It's going to shame them and hope that it melts their hearts. And they understand what they're doing is wrong. Now, does that happen every time? No. But let God deal with them. This is your part. This is my part to feed them if they're, they're hungry. Give them drink if they're thirsty. And in doing so, basically doing good to them, blessing them instead of cursing them, praying for them, speaking well of them, looking to do good, who knows what God is going to do? That shaming can lead to repentance. Think of our own lives again, going back to my, my, uh, my uh, personal example. I said, well, who knows what God was doing with me? Maybe somewhere in my past, you know, somebody shamed me, and that led, that's kind of a, a catalyst that led me to repentance. I don't know. Maybe that's true for you. You saw a believer, and they acted in a certain way, and that made you understand there's something different about them. They're taking on my insults. They're taking on my uh, put-downs, and they're being kind back to me. I don't know what that is, and you don't know what that is. That's the point. You don't know what God is going to do through you to that person that is persecuting you. So you do good to them. And going back to the question I asked right when I started this, verse 20, why should we do this? Again, shouldn't our hearts, be, our hearts desire be to see other people come to the Lord? I was uh, thinking of a, a great example of someone that did not want people to come to the Lord. As a matter of fact, they knew that the Lord would cause those people to repent. And that's the example of Jonah. You guys remember Jonah? Turn with me to Jonah. We'll read this part of the story. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. We can probably all, uh, this probably can resonate. Jonah's a hard book to find, by the way. If you're actually using your Bible. 
If you're using your phone, you got it. I'm going to take a minute because I was having trouble finding this the other day. I got it. It's after Obadiah. Oba who? Obadiah. It's like one page in my Bible. Okay, Jonah, chapter 3, look at verse 10. So Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and ask them to repent or command them to repent. Or basically said, God, and he didn't even say repent. He just said, God's going to judge this place after, I think, was it 40 days? Anybody going to help me? Anyways, the point was, he said, God's going to judge this place. Nineveh repented. And initially, Jonah didn't want to go there, right? He went another way, and God had to throw him in the belly of a big fish. And then he got thrown up on, at Nineveh's shore. And verse 10 says, when God saw their deeds, this is speaking of Ninevites, and they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God showed grace and mercy to these people. And so Jonah should have been excited, right? Praise God, more people under the family of God. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, or that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and the one who relents concerning calamity. He's like, I knew you would forgive him, Lord. He had he obviously had the wrong heart. This is the point. Sometimes we we don't want God to forgive that person. We want to see that person suffer. Right. Sometimes we're so angry and so injured. That we don't want to do that. The whole point is our heart should be transformed that we want that to happen. And, and again, it's a work in progress. And Jonah is, is so glad that the Bible is so open with people's feelings that Jonah said, I. I knew you were going to do this. And then verse 3, he keeps on, he keeps going. He's so funny. Jonah's pouting here, saying, life's not fair. Therefore now, Lord, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have any good reason to be angry? I don't want to hear that question from the Lord. You never want to hear God ask you a question because he already knows the answer. So where's your heart? Is your heart, where's my heart? Is our heart, I should say, our heart should be towards seeing other people come to Christ, even our enemies, even those who persecute us or injure us. Who knows what God is going to do? And as I mentioned, the whole context of this section, why should we do this? Is because we're called to exalted living. This is our calling. We're called to be different. We have that transformed heart. Let me Go back to two texts I mentioned earlier, Matthew 5, verse 44, as Jesus was explaining in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in verse 44, but I say to you in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So remember, I read that this is the rest of the section so that this is the why so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Excuse me. If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God has called us to a more exalted living church. This is something that he is working on each and every one of our hearts. Uh, then again in Luke chapter 6, let's look at verses 20, starting in verse 27. It's similar. He says this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and, what, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind and ungrateful. Excuse me. He himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil man. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Again, we're called to a higher calling of living. Now, let me just say this because as you read that, you're like, So I'm supposed to just let people walk over me? No, that's not what it's saying. And again, for the sake of time, I would reference you to John MacArthur's message on this section. It's very good. This is not saying that Christians just allow people to walk all over us and we're just to give all of our money away. No. The point I'm trying to make this morning is that we're just called to a different type of living than anybody else. A higher exalted living. And let me give you this last word of encouragement in closing. The why should we do this? Number one, again, because it can cause a person to repent. Number two, because we're believers and we're called to an exalted living. And thirdly, just this final word of encouragement from James. He says this, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is great reward. We may not see it on this side of heaven, and we don't do it for this point, but know that God sees all that we're going through. God will reward you for your kindness. I hope that encourages you as you handle mistreatment throughout your life because it's going to happen. Life is not fair, but God is there with us. He has already overcome this life and this world. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we ask for help in this tough situation in our life. Lord, when people mistreat us, do all that they can to ruin our reputation. And Lord God, even as we see across the world to do injury to us because we are believers. Lord God, that time may or may not come to our life, our country, and I pray that it doesn't, Lord. I pray for your divine protection upon us and upon all believers. But Lord, if it does come in the form of 
severe persecution. Give us the strength to endure. Give us the ability to pray for those who persecute us. And even in our own situations now in our life, Lord God, some of us may be going through times that we think are not fair. We may be out of work, suffering financially. Somebody at work is doing all that they can to make our life miserable. And maybe sometimes even in our own homes, Lord God, many people are just causing our life stress. Lord God, give us the power through your Holy Spirit to overcome this. To live as you've called us to live. Lord, to not be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Help us to do that, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.